0: So before we start, I'm just gonna do a little consensus. Put your hand up, there'll be no judgment, I promise. Put your hand up if you have put your Christmas decorations up already. Surprisingly low, I thought that, okay. Uh, Put your hands up if you are waiting for the 1st of December. Okay, and put your hand up if you're a bit like me, you're gonna wait until Christmas Eve because you can't be bothered. Anyone else like that? No, yes, thank you got some supporters. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Okay. I just want to know, because I've had this conversation with my housemate, and I'm kind of thinking, should I put them up, should I not? But it's good to know that I'm not the only one who hasn't put them up yet. I went to Prezzo the other day, and they had their Christmas tree up in September. And I was like, absolutely, was like, yeah, no, not okay. I wasn't happy about that. So yeah, anyway. My name is Emmy. Um, I head up the youth work here at Christchurch. I've been attending this church now for seven years. Um, and I'm really excited to... Um, Bring the word to you this morning. It's a real privilege, um, and this morning I'm going to be bringing uh, 1 Thessalonians to a close as Paul writes his final encouragements and instructions to the church there. It has been a letter, that has been a journey through the narrative of their conversion there in Thessalonica, and evangelism followed by some exhortations and clarifications on various different subjects, including sexual conduct, love for one another, um, work ethic, and many many other areas. And most importantly. This has given us a picture of how, as a church, we should be interacting with the gospel message, which is the good news of Jesus, and how it shapes the church, in which we in turn sees a church living a life that honors the message of the gospel. So to put it in fewer words, we can learn from this letter how to be a gospel-centered church. So this morning, I want to bring us all together as we approach the end of um, the chapter in 1 Thessalonians 5. So if you could turn to, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. spare with me one second. It should hopefully come up behind. So if either, for those who don't have a Bible, that's absolutely fine. Just see it behind me. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 28. So I'm just going to read it. So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So brothers, pray for us, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read out to all brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. So there's a lot, I remember when I got given this um, preach to do, I remember thinking, there's a lot in this. And I was a bit concerned because I was like, I feel like every single line in this could have a preach to itself. So I'm going to try and cover as much as I can without the danger of trying to cram it in. Um, And these verses are bursting at the seams with images of how the church should be loving one another and beyond these four walls. And that is what I'm going to be focusing on today. How the hope and the good news of Jesus should be reflected in how we love the church leaders how we look after one another and how we should be worshiping together as a church so how can we be a gospel-centered church that reflects the love of jesus to all people in all circumstances and to find the answer we're actually going to start at the end of this passage so if we look at verses 23 to 24. now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So before I carry on, I'm actually going to try to sort of explain what sanctification means or to be sanctified. um, Because actually it's a word that kind of gets used a lot in preachers. But, you know, it's okay to not know what that means. So I'm going to describe and hopefully explain it in a clear way. (coughs) Because I'm going to be using a lot over the next 20 minutes. So when you come to know Jesus and you receive his spirit, a work begins in you, a transformation that sees us reflecting a Christ-like image in our daily lives. And part of this transformation is sanctification. That is the process of being set apart from our sinful ways of a living towards becoming holy and living a holy life. This is a process that happens throughout our Christian walk on earth and that will be finished and completed when Jesus returns. Being holy, that is to be sanctified, means bearing actual likeness to God. When you come to know Jesus, this holy living is something that continues on and sets us apart from the worldly ways and that we belong to God. And with this, we can strive to live a life that is good and holy and Christ-like. And what's more is sanctification is the work of God in us, not by our own merit or our own strength. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And while sanctification is exclusively of God, that is, the power rests in his holiness, we should be constantly striving to be more and more like Jesus every day. And we see Paul speak of sanctification throughout this letter in the past and present tense. We see how through Jesus we have been made holy and been made blameless. And through Jesus we are able to continue to to do so. And that this can be seen through our daily lives. And here in this chapter, we see how Paul is praying that the work continues on until Jesus returns, where our holiness will be made complete. So sanctification is a past, present, and future work in us, and it works through and through in our mind, body, and spirit, our inner and outer person. And that sanctification has worked through us entirely so that we have been made blameless before God. And so with that in mind, we have now hopefully got some understanding of what sanctification looks like in a Christian walk, so we can now move on to what it looks like for us as an entire church congregation. Paul here has given us a beautiful image of what a local church should look like in this passage, and he focuses in these verses at three relationships amongst the church. When worshipping God together, with each other, and with our church leaders, all three are transformed when we remember that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. But all of this is only possible by God's gracious work in us. So we're going to first look at um, verses 16 to 18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So all three of these commands, when misinterpreted, seem impossible to achieve or seem too ambitious for us to carry out in our day-to-day routine. But don't fret, while these things should be something that we address in our private lives, times of worship as well, here Paul is speaking as a whole church congregation that we should be actively expressing these things together in our times of worship. Public worship is a vital part of the life of a local church and it's part of its identity. And one of the joys of being part of a church community and a church is that we can celebrate, mourn, lift up, praise and thanksgiving, pray, listen, encourage, challenge, support all together as one body in Christ, like Tom's brought, you know, that when you come into this building, you are part of a family, you are accepted fully, and even more so by your Heavenly Father. So the first command is to rejoice always. Is that saying that you need to be happy all the time? No, because happiness and joy can't be turned on and off like a tap. But what it is saying here is that we should rejoice in the Lord always. So Paul isn't ordering us to be happy, but it's actually just an invitation to worship, a joy-filled worship. We should be striving for celebration to be at the core of all of our times of worship for what God has done and has given through Christ, delighting in the Lord and all that he will continue to do through our lives. When writing this letter to the Thessalonians, it would have been fair to say from the outward appearance they didn't really have much to rejoice about. They were heavily persecuted and each day would have been a struggle. But Paul and these early Christians knew that they were in Christ and they knew the truth of his words, that they had a joy that could not be taken away. This sense of holy joy permeates and is woven into their lives and it should be the same for us. Rejoicing always seems a bit countercultural in today's landscape where every negative feeling needs to be examined and probed. But this isn't saying that we should bury our feelings but choose to express joy before God, both in private and together as a church. So praying without ceasing, this is the one that I would say I struggle with the most because these words, both as an individual and I'm sure maybe for some of you as a church congregation, can bring about a vague fear that we are failing from the start, an impossible ideal, but none of these feelings captures the essence of what these words are actually trying to say. It isn't a command that's meant to guilt trip you, but actually a call to become what you were made to be. It's a command to live up to your privileges in Jesus and an invitation to enjoy God all day long. Praying unceasingly doesn't mean that you need to be on your knees every single hour of the day because Paul writes in this very same letter about other things that he encourages us to do, which is working hard and building one another up. But prayer, however, should be present and apparent throughout our entire lives. Prayer should over time be brought into all moments dependent on God for all things. It should turn every burden into help me, It should turn every celebration into thank you. It should turn every temptation into deliver me. It should be like an automatic response. When we hear that someone needs prayer, do we automatically think, I'm going to go and stand there and pray with them? Is that what you think straight away? Because we have a privilege of knowing a God who we can speak to because he spoke first. Remember, when we pray, who we are coming before And praying for each other as a church is a blessing. Coming together to lift each other up in prayer. Every Christian, no matter where they are in their walk of faith, has the spirit of God in them. Every Christian is invited to seek, knock and ask at the Father's door. And as praise is an essential part of worship, so is prayer. So we should be praying for all our church members far and near. And finally, with this section, give thanks in all circumstances. So how can we be giving thanks as a church when everything around us sometimes just seems really difficult and really discouraging and really um, we just struggle? How can we have a life that's filled with thankfulness when everything just seems a bit disappointing or not how we planned it in our heads? Because we have been shown by Jesus himself how to give thanks. Despite knowing what was around the corner for him um, the days before his death, he sat with his disciples and said these words. He said, took bread and had given thanks. He broke it and had gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus had given us the grace and the gift of himself. He died on the cross and bore the wrath of God instead of us. He took the sin of the world on himself, and yet he still gave thanks to his heavenly Father. And we can ask, why would he be thankful in that situation? He knew what was coming. How could he possibly be thankful at that moment of time? And that's because he knew of the future hope and glory and grace that was going to be coming because of that cross. That is what he gave him joy. And we can be fueled by that same future hope, and our eyes can be fixed on that same future joy. It is written in Hebrews 12, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Christians come together and are thankful through all circumstances, the kingdom of God is most clearly seen. Thankfulness is a sign of faith, evidence that we really do see his grace and feel its effects. And thankfulness should always characterise the people of God. Side by side with praise and prayer, thankfulness should be interwoven and unceasing. We should be thankful for material things as well as especially for God's priceless love in redeeming this world through Jesus. And as a church, we will be seeking this through all avenues, including communion and baptism. I mean, what an amazing way to publicly declare and thank our Lord for what he has done in our lives through getting baptised. And why are we told to do these things as a church? Because it is God's will for us in Christ. We must be in Christ Jesus. Without being in union with him through his, his indwelling Holy Spirit, we could never come close to be able to obey all these commands. We are placed into union with Christ. And these three particular commands are in parallel to one another, showing the constancy of Christian life. So now that we've looked at communal worship, we're now going to move on to how should we respond to one another. So we're going to zoom in onto verses 14 to 15, where it says, And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. God calls us to be in a compassionate and caring church, a body of Christ that reflects the same patience and love towards each other as He does with us every single day. Living and worshipping in a church community is a privilege as we are all from different walks of life, we've all come from different backgrounds, we all have different testimonies, different personalities, different outlooks on life. But when you are part of a church, we are called to have patience with one another. So for me personally... Um, I came to this church, like I said, seven years ago, and I had a lot of stuff that had gone on in my past. Um, I had a lot of um, things I needed prayer for, including healing, um, and I needed a lot of patience because I was going through a really difficult time. And I cannot tell you how much love surrounded me when I came into this church building. I was surrounded by people who genuinely were reflecting Christ and how they were responding to me. They were so patient and they were so loving And I can't speak highly enough of this church community. And I know that's because their hearts are in Jesus. And their hearts are being reflected, um, reflecting Christ's love. So for any of you out there who are struggling or having a difficult time, just remember that as a church, we are here for you and we love you and we want to help and support you with that. And that is what a church community should look like. And we are brothers and sisters. And so therefore, these instructions are for all of us. Mutual comfort and encouragement as well as mutual tolerance and service as well. It is a whole church's responsibility to look after each other, not just the leaders. And patience is a virtue that we should all be practicing. When you know Jesus, you know that your his spirit lives in you, and it's ex- expressed through various Christ-like virtues, which includes patience. Sanctification makes it possible to love each other despite our differences, because we all share one love, and that is in Jesus. Are we supporting and building up the church, or are we being disruptive to that? Are we building up those who are discouraged and downtrodden because of what they've had to give up for their faith? We see in verse 15 that we are called to respond to conflicts amongst ourselves. We see Paul explain that all grudges and want for revenge should be put away when he instructs the Thessalonians to do the same with their persecutors and slanderers. Thess- the Thessalonians had like opposition coming from all angles, and so it would have been really easy for them to seek revenge or respond in kind. But Paul makes it plain here that the way of the Christian shouldn't be simply applied when things are easy. That actually Christianity is a robust faith and is lived out in the most trying times. And we must not repay evil with evil. This is an Old Testament command that is carried out throughout and is demonstrated beautifully by Christ who suffered at the hands of man and did not return in kind. Vengeance and justice should be left in God's hands. Christian faith is not something that should be simply played in these four walls either, that we should be seeing it being reflected in all aspects of our life, in our work lives, in our family lives, in our friendships, even with people on the bus. They should be able to see something that's different about you because you have the love of Jesus that sits right here. And finally, we're going to look at how we should be responding to leadership. So verses 12 to 13. He begins this segment in an unusual and mostly unseen instruction um, on how the church should be towards their leaders. So, in verses 12 to 13, it says this We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly and love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We see here Paul addressing the Thessalonica church on how to treat and love their church leaders, who are referenced here as those who labour among them and are over them in the Lord, therefore referencing to spiritual leaders. Paul references how leaders should, be, should uphold themselves, both in the church and outside too. This includes encouraging, coming alongside people, admonishing, which I've said quite a lot, which means cautioning and advising and challenging the congregation. And all leaders are ordained and placed in this role by God himself and are seen to be doing God's work. Paul explains that they are servants of Christ, which he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and that in their leadership role, they direct the affairs of the church first and foremost through the authority of God and his word. We as a church are encouraged to pay careful attention to spiritual direction, no matter how challenging it might seem. Our leaders are to be identified by their actions, not their titles. As a church, having leaders that are upheld and respected because of their actions and works and Christ-like love for us means that we can expect a flourishing and growing church. And appreciation and affection will help lead a church to be at peace with each other. Paul is encouraging a balance here with the Thessalonians that church leaders and congregations should work with one another allowing pastoral oversight and allowing ministries to multiply. We aren't here to flatter and fawn over our leaders, but rather acknowledge them for their works and their efforts. A happy gospel-centred church should see leaders and church communities working alongside each other in thoroughness and in humility. Then we will see that we will live in peace with one another. And leadership helps us to encourage and discern the growth of spiritual gifts among the church, and should be, we should be expectant of the Spirit's movement within a public wor- uh, worship setting as well, as ready to move when he compels us through, as you saw this morning, through words, through pictures, through prophecies, speaking in tongues. This is why it's so great to have hosts and leaders on a Sunday morning, because they are here to help us guide that, and here to help us and to come alongside us and encourage us in those moments. Submission in Christ is something that we're all called to when we come, when we come to follow him, which also submitting to God-given authority It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be no advantage to you. Submission here isn't painting a picture of being downtrodden or walked over or ignored or belittled, but actually, they are caring for us, and with this will come harmony and joy. And it is because we know that the leaders are appointed under God and because all they do is for him and with him that they can exercise effective leadership um, alongside support and obedience from the church community. That way, our leaders can do their best for God's kingdom. So we've come to the end of this chapter. So we're going to read through the verses again and just really resonate with the words that he spoke. So if we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without unceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil of any form. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet us all brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to make sure this letter is re- re- read out to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul has listed off a lot of commands of, and encouragements in these verses. But this is why he says these words. He says in verse 23, he talks about how We have been sanctified through him, and that is his will through Christ Jesus for us. Paul reminds us that the source of the power to be able to do all these things that we have been listed here to do is not because of our own strength, it's because of the sanctification that has been done in us through the spirit. And with our whole mind, our whole body, our whole spirit, we we are now seen as blameless before Jesus, and until Jesus returns, when our holiness will be complete. Through the work of God, does in us means that we're able to live a life that is full to the brim of joy, of prayer, of thankfulness, and a peace beyond our own imagination. If I could invite the band up. So I implore you, this is my final call, I implore you for anyone out there who either has never met Jesus or never heard of Jesus or hasn't come to a church before, or for any of you out there who are asking the questions of what or why or who. I just implore you to take this moment to really resonate these words in your heart. As someone who's been a Christian for a long, long time, I can honestly vouch for the good and amazing work that God has done in my life. The transformation that's happened in my life in the last seven years in particular, I wouldn't recognise myself seven years ago. And that's not because of anything I did, it's because I can see that Jesus has done so much work in my life. I wouldn't be standing here if I hadn't come to Christchurch and I hadn't been encouraged by this church community. So I really want to encourage you out there, if anyone are feeling the same, that actually when you come to church, it's not just four walls with nice tea and biscuits. You know, It's surrounded by people who love Jesus, and I want to love you in the same way that he loves us. So I just really compel you to seek in your heart and ask, who is Jesus? And come and speak to us after the service, because we would love to tell you about who he is. And to be a gospel-centered church, we must seek the transforming power of sanctification from the Holy Spirit shown perfectly in Jesus and what he has done for us that will lead us to reflect him more and more in what we can do as a congregation. So let's strive to have Jesus at the centre of all here at Christchurch and let's see him woven in to our fellowship and our worship and our outreach. Thank you.